Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and that book you recommended to me that I will never read. Never, ever, ever. I don't, I don't, I didn't like it. I judged, so you did read it. No, I judged it by the cover. <laughs> and I'm a book to be judged by the cover. I'm Alicia Herder. And I'm a diary you found underneath the crawl space in that house you just moved into. Oh, you are salacious. Tara Keck. On today's episode, Helena Blavatsky, which is in the news, and a spell to commune with your ancestors. Baby girl, what is up? Do you have something to tell us? No, really, no. Oh, okay, great. Okay. So anyway, uh, Helena Blavatsky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so over the past two weeks, mm-hmm. I've gone through a metamorphosis. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have... Um, were we caterpillar or were we like a poopa? Like, <laughs> well, right now I'm the poopa. Oh, hey. I'm poopa and you're Timon. <laughs> I'm always Timon. <laughs> We've been talking about the ancient exenomancy prophecy brought to us via the Patreon. Did we throw spoons? Pencils. Pencils. Not even high class of <laughs> spoons. <even> they were. <laughs> so yeah. So right now I'm, I'm poopating mm-hmm. as a, a fiance. Oh. As a Francois. Oh, French wine the Francois. As a as a fruitopia. A cinnamon baby. Oh, she got that Moulin Rouge. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah. So the uh, Instagram knows, and now my family knows, and I'm very excited and happy. And I have this all right. Giant, we're, powerful we're bored. Ring. Tell us how it happened. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Why are you skimping on the details? Okay. These people have been following us for nearly four years, and you're not going to tell them shit. Like it's not fair. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, so we went to Mike's family's farmhouse, mm-hmm. it, which is in rural Illinois on the border of Wisconsin. And as we're driving by, and he's like grown up going to this farmhouse his whole life. It was his grandfather and grandmother's house that they built. It used to be just like this big empty plot of land that they like created a forest and a prairie on by like hand planting all these wildflowers. And like they have this like really cool ledger that's like planted 50 black walnut trees in this area. I had, had a good sandwich today. Yada, yada. And it's like in their handwriting. Love that. And so I had told him oh I want to go to the country house and just like have a week there and like I'm gonna make some art and maybe I'll do some writing and it'll be very chill I just need to like leave the city Mm -hmm. um, because it does drive you mad and then as we're driving he points out like on the freeway oh look there's a sunflower maze over there sunflowers are my favorite flower sunflowers are gorgeous and so he's like oh wouldn't it be fun to like go do that and I was like oh that would be fun and then I like you know he talked about something else and uh his friend Taylor was coming up because we were having to go to a wedding in Madison. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we, we took Dolly with us. And so we said, oh, Taylor, why don't you like come watch Dolly while we're in Madison for the day? And Great. then, you know, you can stay in the house by yourself and it'll be wonderful. So then as we're going up to Madison, um, also Taylor does location scouting for movies. Mm-hmm. And so we're going up to Madison and Mike's like, oh, like I told Taylor about the sunflower maze and he wants to go and take some pictures. Like maybe you could dress real cute and we'll take some aesthetic pictures. I know you love that gram. Mm-hmm. I said, I do love the gram, baby. Like, you oh, me so well. Those are the words I want to hear. <laughs> I want to look pretty and have my picture taken. Exactly. Yes. So I am 
low-key expecting it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, as I told you before, have to be okay if it doesn't happen. Because sometimes men, they have these ideas about what's going to happen and it doesn't work out. You get a tummy ache. You know, there's mm-hmm. too many children around. Uh, uh, you're in a big fight. You have to pee. You Oh, God. I feel like that pee. one's going to ruin everything for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, get up. I always need to pee. Wait, wait, wait. Hold that thought. And so we get to the sunflower field. It's full of children. Love that. Not romantic at all. Yelling, screaming. Oh, crying. Crying. Lost in the maze. Children. Away Sneezing. From the- oh, yes. Ugh. And they and they don't cover their mouths. Mm-hmm. And they into the open air. Into the sunflower's face. <laughs> yeah. And it's... September, so while the sunflowers are tall, mm-hmm. a lot of them are like this. Wilty, like too hot. Just like heat black stroke. petals, black heart, yeah. black soul. I'm like, this is not romantic at all. This is not going to happen here, and it's going to be okay that it's not going to happen here. And we're walking around, and we finally get to an area where like you can see some really beautiful sunflowers. Like it overlooks like this big, beautiful part of the field. And I was like, oh, this is so pretty. Let me um, take a picture of you, Mike. And he turns around to me. And I take his picture. Mm-hmm. He's cheesing. Mm-hmm. And he says, I've tricked you. And I say, oh, no. You say, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Do you know how many like criminal podcasts you listen to? <laughs> you were like, I know exactly how to fight and like... I take my run away. I take my finger off of the the nine one one, and I've I've already called them. I know the true crime. It's yeah. like you did the three little hits on the side of your iPhone. Yes. <laughs> Paul Holes is on the case. I'm already like forty eight hours later. Like they're on their way right now. Yeah. yeah. So he says uh, I didn't find out about this place while we were driving to the farm. I've known about this place since the summer after I met you, and I knew since then that this is where I wanted to propose to you. Mm-hmm. And he gets down on one knee and he's being like kind of goof, like laughing. Like he can't like make eye contact with me, which is very sweet. And it was like my soul left my body and I was not in control of what I said next. Mm-hmm. He gets down on one knee, says, Tara, will you marry me? And I pause and the flesh part of me says, hold on, let me get a better look at this. And I pick up the ring. And what does your soul do? Your soul smacks itself in face. <laughs> my soul says, ha what a funny joke. And then Mike starts laughing. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. And I put the ring on myself. <laughs> he doesn't put You were a- really like, let's get to the point over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yes. And I go, uh-huh. And then all- everyone else is like, she said yes. Blah. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Too shocked to move. And it, it was really interesting because it didn't feel real mm-hmm. for a while. And I was kind of like sad when it was over because like you wait for this moment for so long. Mm-hmm. Like you imagine what it's going to be like and what it's going to feel like. And so I made, I took it off several times and I said, do it again. And so I probably got proposed <laughs> to like 18 times. That's amazing. Over the course of like a couple days. And for like the next week or so, I was like kind of shy around him. <laughs> I just like felt kind of like, like I didn't want to like be too goofy in case he like changed his mind. I don't know. He can't change his mind. It's already on your finger. <laughs> Basically like signed in blood. You it's know? already swelled around and consumed it like a tree that's been left. It's like, still hot outside. These little fingies just swell in heat, you yeah. know? But yeah. So, and then um, I think my sister, Danielle, was probably the person that was like the most excited for me. Aww. Because I, I texted her, attention, 911. 
And then she called me immediately. She goes, hello. And I go, hello. And then she started laughing and I started laughing. And then it was like probably like 60 seconds of just like, and she was like, and I was like, oh, yes, this is what I need. This is exactly what I want. Um, So what's going on in your life, baby? Okay. I actually, from our AMA, from our last Patreon episode, we talked about spells that had gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And we had a very interesting response from the Patreon inner circle on the Discord about what might have gone wrong with you and the mulberry tree. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't, I didn't see this. Good. So it's from Heliacon, and they say, there's three species of mulberries, or at least main ones. Morris rubra, Morris nigra. He's like shaking his head. He's dying because I'm saying these all inaccurately. Morris alba colloquially man he uses some big words those are red black and white mulberry red mulberry is native to the united states and although i'm not sure of the range outside of virginia i'm pretty sure it's up and down the eastern seaboard and extends in west for a bit black mulberry is native to the euphrates euphrates river valley euphrates euphrates all right euphrates river valley if i remember correctly and you don't see too many of those here white mulberry though is the story it's native to Southeast East Asia and is the main food source of silkworms and was introduced to North America in the 17th, 18th century. In Virginia, at least, there was a colonial decree that settlers bring a pair of white mulberry trees with them when they came to colonize these lands. The reasoning was that having these plants and hopefully introducing some silkworms to munch on them could help break the traditional Chinese stranglehold on silk production. So we want to make shit. Mm-hmm. Since we didn't become a silk-producing empire, I don't think it worked, but we're dealing with the effects of the introduction of white mulberry today. So these dudes readily hybridize with red mulberry, and after a couple of centuries, it's at the point where in my area, I don't know of any actual red mulberries. They're some sort of hybrid, and they're incredibly prolific and incredibly vigorous. The only ones I think are red mulberries are some of the ones in Williamsburg, And it's because I'm pretty sure those dudes are hundreds of years old. All that aside, as much as I love mulberries as a fruit, ecologically white mulberry is a bit of a disaster. The first instance sounds like an infestation of tint caterpillars, which can happen in bumper crops. I think that's super common for mulberries since the leaves are attractive to those little defoliating dudes. Mulberries also fall apart because they tend to grow as volunteers and will usually grow into an arrangement of co-dominant stems. It's a damn book, man. Anyway, TLDR, his thought is this. If you left an offering for the gods and the tree was destroyed, it's entirely possible it's an invasive tree that the land doesn't want there. Like you gave it permission, like the spirits, the energies, permission to take this invasive tree down. Not you killed the tree. Not tree murder Tara. Tree murderous tree serial killer Tara. Exactly. It's you gave them like, Kind of the offering they needed to be like, you're right. I have the power. I'm going to fuck this guy up now. I am a hero. (laughs) Not a villain. Not. Today's a great day for you on the podcast. What? Yeah, congratulations. I felt so much guilt (laughs) about this mulberry situation. That makes sense. It did seem like you killed a tree. <laughs> With my magical powers. Exactly. With your magical power. I'm a bad witch. Wow. Wow, and you just might have helped. Heliacon is so smart. Our witches are so smart. Mm-hmm. 
much smarter than us. Yeah. We don't know anything. I was like, yeah, she killed it. I don't know. Yeah, dude. I'm yeah. fucking, that's the evidence points in that direction. You know, and I've been feeling so bad about squashing all these lantern flies, but I'm like, it's for the trees. But now I, I've already saved a tree, so I don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to do anything. You can calm down. Yeah. They're going to die with winter anyway. Yeah, they will. It'll be fine. Did you see, aside, did you see that like infestation of the lantern flies video on what is New York? No. They look like cockroaches. It's crazy. Really? There's like... They look so cute over here. Well, in New York, I mean, they're... They're big. Become powerful off of the toxic waste. They ate chemical X. <laughs> they're dangerous. Yeah. That's what happens when you stay in New York for too long. That's why you got to leave every yeah. once in a while. Yeah, it's true. Go leave, get engaged, come back, drink more chemical X, leave again. Thank you, Heliocon. Yeah, thank you. But you were, you were just on vacation, though. You are just away. That's true. And, you know, there's nothing like going on a vacation, running through airports, sipping mimosas in the mountains, beautiful views, you know. You've stopped to take that, like, sweet, sweet breath of fresh air. But that doesn't mean life stops around you, you know. So I have emails piling up, missed phone calls, deadlines on the horizon that I am very dutifully ignoring right now. (laughs) So sometimes when I come home from a vacation, I just feel so bad. Like there's so much to do still. And where did all the time go? And it's like halfway through September. And that means the year's almost over. Stop. You're giving me anxiety. Isn't that crazy? I was thinking about that today. And I was like, rabbit hole. We are spiraling. So, you know, I needed a boost and not one that gave me coffee lockjaw after a third cup. And this is when I drink Magic Mind. The Magic Mind? The Magic Mind, baby. It's this adorable green herbal potion that comes in the cutest little bottle. Now I feel like I'm able to do so much more of my work. I have more energy. I feel more relaxed. And it's easier to focus on everything without becoming overwhelmed. All right, baby witches, you have to listen to me because it's basically like this little potion of productivity. I love Magic Mind. You know this. And as all of you know, Alicia and I are creatives on and off the podcast, so we need whatever extra boost we can get. I'm desperate. I'll take anything. And Magic Mind really does make a difference. So it's got ashwagandha and turmeric, which work together to decrease stress and inflammation in the body. This gives you the ability to tackle those emails, to deal with your life. And then it has some nootropics to boost your brain flow and cognition. So you're not just writing garbage emails. They're good emails. They are good emails. Very best, Alicia. It also has matcha, which is that magical little ingredient that keeps you awake and focused without going into a caffeinated coma. And guys, you have to try it. It can replace one of your coffees you have completely, or if you're like me, a vicious and violent coffee addict with no family (laughs) and no prospects. (laughs) I drink it while I'm sipping my coffee. It's honestly, it's the best combination to keep you going. And you know, we wouldn't come to you today on the day of your daughter's wedding without a discount code. The lovely people of Magic Mind came through. So go to magicmind.co slash yes20 for 40% off, 40% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. Oh my gosh, that's so much off. Your 40% off code only lasts for 10 days. So time is a ticking, baby witch. But don't worry, it's so worth it. I mean, we had ours today and we were like, I'm boosted, I'm ready to go, I'm revving. Come at me, COVID. I'm too fast for you. Also, Baby witches. I have to say, Tara was being mean to everyone about Patreon not being enough. And now we have 84 patrons, which I mean, we need 500 to get the new equipment. But there was some effort put in. I think that they showed up when they they don't want to be bullied, but they do want a big, strong boot on their throat. 
whenever they put in their credit card information. Sounds like being bullied, honestly. It's sexy bullying. Oh, sexy bullying. It's, it's a thigh-high boost. Oh, yeah. There's stilettos. Yes. It's very cute. But last week, we did part one of our AMA, our Ask Me Anything. And boy, did they ask. One of the questions was, how did we start this podcast? And that took 45 derailed. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, I honestly don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, no spoilers. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Next week, we're taking a break from spilling the beans and talking about the life and times of the Disney witchy original, The Owl House. Oh, my favorite show. Such a good show. We actually have been putting off like the last episode of the season. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't want it to be over. Mm-hmm. But to join our Patreon, we have a link in our show notes. And, you know, you're on your phone anyway. Just pop on down, click it. People get to ask questions. It's like a fun, amazing time. Also, you can head over to our Tee Public to get Witch Yes merch, like Satan's Little Snack and Baby Witch shirts, totes, and sweaters. Because it's going to be sweater season soon, baby. Oh, look at them leaves. I mean, the leaves are green. But, you know... But they won't be for long. Watch out. Times are a-changing. The witching hour is upon us. Mama. Baby. One of the questions for our AMA mm-hmm. episode was from Momo. Mm-hmm. And she said, tell us more Psychic Con artist stories. Oh, we love those. And I was like, this is perfect. Our next episode is a Psychic Con artist. And I had already started research. And I had been waiting for this Helena Bovatsky episode. Yes. For like six months. The HB herself. And then, Behind the Bastards, one of the most famous historical podcasts, did a four-parter on her. <gasps> like, last week. Like four hours? Four separate hours spanned over four separate episodes. I would never want to talk about someone that much who's not me. <laughs> Let's be real. I don't know. I think you're really going to like her. Okay. But for four hours, I don't know if I like anything for four hours. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. So I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I called you. I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. Should and I said, I, 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 have to I don't go. care. <laughs> I, I don't know this bitch. <laughs> so I decided, okay, we're going to do the episode. We're only doing one. It's only an hour or so. And we're, um, we're just going to hit some of the life and times. And if you are interested in a deeper dive, there are lots of books on Madame Blavatsky that are wonderful, that are uh, critical, that are sucking her dick. And you can 100% get all of those things on like Audible or on the Libby app. But this episode is going to be the best episode. Boom. Because we are doing highlights, baby. We are the spark notes of all episodes. Exactly. First, to begin, you must know that there are two easily accessible biographies of Helena Blavatsky. One by Gary Lachman and one by Marion Mead. And they are aware of one another. And while I can't confirm it's an enemies-to-lovers situation, they do love dunking on each other in their respective biographies. Oh, good. I don't, I don't know if they met and they just rubbed each other the wrong way. I would say that Gary Lockman really likes Blavatsky, so he takes a lot of her life narrative at face value, and Marion Mead is a little more critical. But I know that Helena Blavatsky is loved by some, and many of her ideas persist today. And the Theosophists mark the day of her death every year on May 8th with the celebration of the White Lotus Day. So, Like my favorite TV show, The White Lotus on HBO Max? Yes, exactly. (laughs) And there is a stabbing. (laughs) There is a stabbing in this story. And a body. But I think it's, it's important to maybe talk about where some of these ideas come from and then where they are taken because they are taken to some of the darkest 
places. I'm very excited. I don't know anything. I don't know who this is. I don't know what theosophy could possibly be. And I'm just here for the ride. All right, close your laptop. Wait, wait, wait. No, leave it open because I have leave pictures. Leave it open. Yeah. I'll okay, introducing. Mm-hmm. Helena Petrovna von Hahn was born August 12th, 1831 in Yekaterinoslav in what was once the Russian Empire but is now Ukraine, which makes her a Leo and an Eastern European Leo at that. If you caught on to that von part of von Hahn, you know it means that Helena is actually part of a German noble family, and she is one of the few psychic con artists that doesn't have to spend a bunch of time convincing people that she's an aristocrat. Her maternal grandmother was the Russian princess Yelena Pavlovna, and her father was a descendant of a German aristocratic family. So she's got money, but not much love. That's okay. Helena grows up not in a castle, not in a mansion, but with the comic people of Central Asia and Southern Russia. So her mother... Novelist Helena Andrevna, another Helena, because I don't think they had that many names back then, was sick of all of the moving her husband was doing because Pietro von Hahn, her dad, was the colonel of the Russian Royal Horse Artillery. I don't, that sounds awful. It sounds loud and stinky. It's like horses with guns? Yep. That's awful. Gun horses. So are the horses the gun or are there horses with the gun? Or are the horses using the guns? This could have all been lost to history, to be fair. I don't know, but in my heart and in my soul, I was like, the horses have the guns. That makes sense to me. Meaning her father is just a horse. Her father is a horse. A noble horse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This explains a lot. The Vaughn, yeah. And so Helena, the mom, she says, if I'm going to get stuck smelling like horses, at least I'm going to go have an adventure while doing it. And she gets the hell out of there. So she ditched the horses. <laughs> she ditches the horses. She ditches her horse husband. Uh-huh. She picks up baby Helena, Helena Jr. Mm-hmm. And booked it. So the comics are a Mongolic semi-nomadic tribal group, which means I move around. And they are Buddhist, but not any kind of Buddhist. They are Tibetan Buddhist, which in the 1800s was a closed nation, unobtainable and therefore very magical. No one in, no one out. So little six-year-old Helena grows up within this moving city of horsemen and becomes best buds with the leader of the Kalmyks, Prince Tumen, who builds his own Buddhist temple every time they move. And it's at this point that Gary Lachman, who made Madame Blavatsky the mother of modern spirituality, suspects that if Helena's mom and dad had had a better relationship and they had stayed in St. Petersburg, or if her mom's father hadn't been selected to be the point person for the Russian government and the Kalmuks and therefore hadn't suggested his consumption-ridden daughter go on an adventure, or if little Helena hadn't been taken under the wing of comic Prince Tumen and introduced to the incense and the chanting and the rituals of this far-off magical place in Tibet, if none of this would have happened, so much of modern spirituality and occultism would not have manifested in the way that it did with the Akashic records. There'd be no Scientology, and there may not even be neo-Nazis. What in the world would we do without all three of those things? Now, up front, I want to say that no matter what happens from this point out in this episode, I'm very much on team little Helena because I see a lot of like my eight-year-old self in her. And the podcast Behind the Bastards with Robert Evans did a really great, again, four-parter on her, that you should absolutely listen to. But Jamie Loftus made a really great point that if little Helena had decided to write horror and fantasy novels instead of making an anti-Semitic infinity library ghost religion that led to the Holocaust, we might think of her as like a Mary Shelley Frankenstein type. (laughs) Like maybe she's like the next like non-transphobic J.K. Rowling. Like she had this big imagination. And to her, the imaginary world was 100% real. 
She was just misdirected. She wanted power. I don't know what she wanted. Maybe there just weren't fun novels at that point. I don't know. I mean, if she was best friends with a prince, she probably wanted power. True. She probably wanted magical power. Mm Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have a home, so she probably wants influence. Yeah. It just sounds like a recipe for disaster, honestly. You shouldn't take kids on the road. They need stability. They do. Get them out of that van and put them in school. A lot of our accounts of what little Helena was like come from her younger sister, Vera. So after life among the Kalmyk people, the Von Hahn children are sent to live with their grandparents who are quite wealthy. One is literally a Russian princess. I wish I were. I mean, there were so many you could be. That's true. They live in this big mansion that has these subterranean tunnels and abandoned wings. And Helena would be found wandering them late at night by servants, sleepwalking and talking to invisible entities she called the Hunchbacks. She started a movie. She did. (laughs) Wow. Hellfire, dark fire. It's one of the best songs. She would tell other children spooky, scary stories that felt so realistic she'd even scare herself. Love that. And then she told them all about these adventures she would go on in the middle of the night to strange and faraway places. She told them about like these distant star worlds that like she was always kind of the hero of all of these adventures, which was 100% me as a child. (laughs) I was like, I'm an alien from a a secret king race and I I can blow you up with my brain. Tammy's like, that's nice, Tara. She would put pigeons to sleep using what she called Solomon's wisdom. What? Wait. That was one line. Yep. You must be expanding. Nope. <laughs> what does that mean? Who is Solomon? <laughs> Solomon is, uh, is like an ancient biblical king. No, we should definitely talk about Solomon at one point because he has the key of Solomon, which is like this big magical thing oh. that we should absolutely talk about sometime. But in all of the books I read, it was just that one line with no instructions, directions, or adjectives. And then she performed a kind of psychometry where she would touch a pebble or like find a fossil on a beach and tell her friends or siblings all about the life and times of what that shell or bleached bird skull were. So like she'd be like, oh, yes, this was the ancient bird king of Florandia. Anyway, it was very adorable and witchy and strange. Is it adorable? It sounds kind of weird. Well, it kind of sounds like she's annoying. Not saying you're annoying. This doesn't sound like what you were doing. It sounds a little bit. Like you're saying that I'm annoying. No, no, no. I'm not saying you're annoying. I'm saying, imagine like being the younger sister and this bitch is touching rocks and just being like, oh, darling, it was like the Egyptian princess, although we're not near Europe. Europe? Egypt? Well, I don't see. She doesn't even know what she's saying. She's stupid. She never went to school. She never went to school. So I'm like, what? I feel like I'm Vera. Uh Uh-huh. I'm little. And my sister gets caught speaking to ghosts in the middle of the night while sleepwalking all the time, and she's sort of like wistfully looking at dead people, I'd be like, I'm afraid. So wouldn't you be like, y'all, we should kill her. We should get rid of her. This is not normal. This is, this is a witch. This is Eastern Europe. Freaky stuff is out here. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's vampire country. Yeah, exactly. So Helena Petrovna, at the age of 17, was married to 40-year-old Nikvor. Blavatsky. Almost immediately, she regrets it. I'm young. I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. What have I done? And there's a lot of speculation as to why she made this move. None of the theories are for love. And Helena, now Blavatsky, will say that she remained a virgin all her life. And that, quote, never physically speaking has there ever existed a girl or woman colder than I. 
I had a volcano in constant eruption in my brain and a glacier at the foot of the mountain. The story goes that when the Russian Orthodox priest said, thou shalt honor and obey thy husband, Helena shouted, I surely shall not. Love that. And when they stopped for their honeymoon, Helena tried to flee the country several times, bribing horsemen to sneak her into Iran and Turkey, and then eventually succeeded by stealing a kayak and paddling over to a boat whose captain she paid off to take her to Tiflis, which is now modern-day Georgia. She was like, I'm out of here. So she just ran away? And she spent the rest of her life trying not to be found. It also doesn't even sound like he was that bad. No, it doesn't. I think he was, it doesn't sound like. She just didn't want to be tied down. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like, like she had had male friends before, but none of them were sexual. So it's totally possible there's like a theory that Helena is asexual. Mm -hmm. And so it's possible that like, okay, here comes Nick Four and he wants to consummate this marriage. And what sounds like the worst possible thing you could do to a 17 year old girl is have this like old guy be like, Yeah, very Lolita of him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From there, Helena goes on a magical adventure to Constantinople, Paris, Canada, India, passport stamp, Germany, London, more passports. She performs in a circus with horses because she's got a horse thing going on. Yeah. Survives an alleged assassination attempt, and she starts a cult and then burns it to the ground in a matter of two weeks in Cairo. She does this twice. I love that. Now, evading her husband at every turn and surviving off of the money her father sent, and you might be thinking... Tara, when is the magic part going to start? All of this sounds exciting. It is very exciting. And adventurous and probably extremely fake because everything Helena said was a lie. Love that. But Helena claimed from the time she was a child and all throughout these adventures, she was being visited by a spirit. But not just any spirit. Who? A South Asian Indian man by the name of Master Moria. Okay. And... Eventually, on the way to London, she meets him in the flesh. And his name's actually Master Moria? And his name is Master Moria. Okay, that's a little wild. So in 1851, in London, Master Moria and Helena meet for the first time, and he has one single message for her. You must go to Tibet. And then she said, okay. And he vanished. What? Never to be seen again. Oh, to be seen again. Oh, okay. This guy's popping up all over. In the sequel. Now, Tibet, the home of the Dalai Lama, in 1850, is an entirely isolated region guarded by border patrol, bandits, and lots of natural barriers that all really want to murder you. Mountains, right? Mountains, cold. Mountains, cold, snow. Windy. uh, Yeti. Ah, Bigfoot, yes. Helena has at least two documented attempts at entering Tibet. The first time, Helena is 20. She pairs up with a tartar. She did all that in three years? Oh, yeah, she did. Amazing. Do you remember what it's like to be that young? You get so much done. I don't know. Like, does she sleep? No. Does she eat? No. She's just walking around? You just walk around. Hopping on camels, hopping on horses? Yeah. Making out with people. (laughs) And you keep going. Flirting, smoking cigarettes. The life of an early 20-year-old. So she pairs up with this tartar shaman trying to get back to Siberia through Tibet. And the idea is that, like, the shaman, because he's trying to get to si- Siberia, he thinks that Helena can help him because she's, like, Russian. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, this is a shaman, and he's going to help me. And the whole time, the shaman has a stone under his left armpit. And whenever Helena's like, what's up with that stone guy? He's like, what stone? I don't know any stone. Don't look at me. Oh, so he's crazy. <laughs> this is not a shaman. I see. This is a man who will kill you. 
But when they're lost in the mountains, in the snow, in the middle of the night, Helena watches him place a wood peg in the ground. And on top of that, he sets a severed goat's head. I do not know where he got the goat's head. There's no no description. Yeah, how did he find this? It's under his other armpit. How did he chop off the goat's head while holding the rock under he's, one arm? He's very like, it's like a chicken wing. It's like ambidextrous. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. He switches. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And the shaman says that the goat head tells others not to bother him because he's about to perform magic. Oh, now we're interested. He removes the stone from his armpit and places it in his mouth. Yuck. Ew. And almost immediately, Helena says he goes into a trance. Understanding that the shaman has left his body and is traveling through the astral world, our girl is like, go to Lhasa. I have a merchant friend there and he's going to help us. Okay. And a few hours later, they are discovered by horsemen who are friends with this merchant. Oh my gosh. And I'm sure she's like, yes, like my saviors. This is amazing. We're going to Tibet. And they like are like, you're, you're going back to India, baby. What? He they, says no? They send her packing. What? They say, no Europeans allowed, baby girl. You know the rules. She's, she's like, like, I'm not. I'm not from anywhere. Helena claims that eventually she traveled into Tibet safely and studied there with Master Moria and another mystic and colleague of Moria called Master Kuthumi for years, learning the original source material of Eastern religions, the true Hinduism. How did Master Moria get in there? I think that he's like a magical... Uh, magic man. He's a magic guy. He's a delusion. <laughs> He's maybe a fever dream. <laughs> Quite possibly. She was taught an ancient and mystic language called Senzar, and she translated several ancient texts from Senzar into Russian, French, nobody really knows. How does she know how to write? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Morian Kuthumi also helped her and allegedly other magical students hone and master psychic powers, which up to this point had just been running amok in Helena's life. They taught her clairvoyance, clairaudience, telepathy, the ability to control someone's consciousness, which seems very extreme, and to travel freely through the astral plane and materialize and dematerialize at will. So pop in, pop out. Oh, I love that. I want that one. Realistically, there is some... What would you do with it? I'd pop in and pop out. Where? Where are you going? Anywhere. Anywhere. Public restrooms, private restrooms. <gasps> oh my God. You would never have to worry about finding a restroom ever again. I know. hundred percent. Just... I'm just in. I'm already peeing. And what are you going to do? You're going to stop me mid-pee? You're going to get wet. Like I materialize and I'm squatting. <laughs> like I'm down. You start, you, you start unzipping mid-poof. Exactly. Now, realistically, there is actually some evidence that Helena got kind of close to Tibet, but it is highly unlikely that she reached it. And that sucks because like this lie is really the structural pillar to so much of what this religion and mythos ends up being. And so she is respectable and she is an authority on occult magic because allegedly she spent all these years in a magical place in the 1850s, a secret psychic school in the Tibetan mountains, gaining magical knowledge from the source, like the true magic. Mm -hmm. And if it's not real, like none of this is real. I don't know. Why can't true magic just be all around us? I mean, I'm sure it is. What if she astral projected into Tibet and learned that way? That's pretty smart. I mean, that's basically what they were she teaching She poofed her. in and poofed out. She was a natural poofer. She was already doing that. How did she get to this many places? <laughs> you just can't be a poofer and maybe be married to a 40-year-old man. Maybe that was the thing. Yeah. Something was tying her to the earthly realm. It's like Marilyn Monroe had to like get rid of her first husband because like... In Hollywood, you can't be married and be a starlet in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And so in order to be like the world's greatest psychic 
theologian, con artist, you can't possibly be married to a 40-year-old man you've never had sex with. Makes sense to me. A Blavatsky? She's like, what am I going to do with this last name? I'm a Von Hahn. I'm surprised she kept the last name. But she has a couple other bigamous marriages, but she doesn't take their last names. Just Blavatsky. Yeah. So I don't know. So there's something she liked about it. Yeah, maybe she just needed an edge. Yeah, maybe like a... And she sounds more Russian Mm -hmm. that way. That makes sense. After Helena finishes her studies at the psychic school in 1870-ish at the age of 39, Kudhumi and Moria give her another task. They tell her that there's a movement called Spiritism in the recently reformed United States, and people are conducting these things called seances. We are familiar. We know all about this. The mediums conducting these seances think they're contacting the souls of the dead, but they are not, says Moria. Mm. They are mistaken. They're contacting these what Lakeman called psychic hobos, mischievous wraith elementals and shells left behind by departed souls. So they're you're shut. just talking to anyone. You're talking to anyone, and that, and that is not a human. It's Ooh. just like kind of like this icky, yucky, troll, detritus creature. Ugh. Okay. Now remember... Blavatsky comes from a background of Buddhism and Hinduism. So we reincarnate after death in this house. And the spiritists or spiritualists believe that the soul goes on to this place called Summerland and can be called up if you have the right telephone, a.k.a. the right virgin girl. Ring, ring. So Kudhumi and Moria say, Helena, you've got to go off to this far off land of New York City and save these poor Americans from themselves. Save us. Save us, please. And she says, okay. And then they vanish. To New York City. To New York. New York. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. There's nothing you can't do except for contact the dead. Is she going to try? Or she's gonna, is she going to try to stop all She's going to try to stop the dead wow. talking. Wow. Okay. She That's says, a no mighty feat. It is very popular right now. <laughs> yeah. She is cutting the cord. She is the scream. She's coming Ooh. in with her little mask. Cutting the power lines, not power lines, the telephone lines. Oh, and the power lines. <laughs> she, and she did. It's just a lot of chaos right now. <laughs> Good so luck. Helena makes it to New York in 1873, and she doesn't start levitating tables or teleporting uptown right away. She tries to make a couple debuts that kind of flop, but her big splash comes when reports start pouring in about this haunting in Chittenden, Vermont with twin brothers who are claiming to manifest physical apparitions. And it is very interesting. But the thing Helena is interested in is not these twin boys. Helena is interested in the man who's writing about these twin boys in big newspapers all over the country. So she says, I'm going to go meet this man, Henry Olcott, the man whom she would start the Theosophical Society with. Ah, because he has a platform. He does. And that was something she was really good at, is that she was very interested in journalists. So the people that she contacted and the people she kept in her circle were always like New York Times, Associated Press, like anybody that's got a pen and willing to listen to her. Oh, I love that. Because, you know, they're probably being ignored all the time. Oh, constantly. This is someone giving them attention. They love that. So just check out this Darwin looking ass. He, 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 he has a long beard. He has a very long beard. So our girl Helena knows how to make an entrance. And I want to read to you from Lechman describing Olcott meeting Helena. I quote, When Olcott saw her sitting at the communal table at lunchtime, the first thing he noticed was her red Garibaldi shirt and a military tunic in blazing scarlet, 
Amid the sober dress of Vermont farmers, it must have been a sight. After the shirt, Olcott next noticed her hair, a thick blonde mop that stood out from her head, silken soft and crinkled to the roots like the fleece of a Coltswat ewe. Then, the massive face, full of power, culture, and imperiousness, that contrasted sharply with the dour look of the other guests. This caught his eye, as must have the fur tobacco pouch and the many rings that adorned her delicate fingers, and perhaps lastly, and most effective, her eyes, sometimes said to be blue, sometimes blue-gray or azure, but always magnetic. And Alcott literally says to the guy next to him, I'm going to go sit next to her. She sounds interesting. So she's big. She's bright red. She's around all these like gray and brown wearing farmers. And she's got all these rings and a fucking blonde afro. She's a phoenix rising, baby. Helena, however, has not forgotten her mission. She's here to do something. Mm -hmm. To tell the spiritualists that these seances that they are holding are fraudulent, but not for the reasons that you might think. And that there is no way for you to contact your dead mom. And you should be focusing on this life so you don't end up like a cockroach or something in the next (laughs) life. And then she tells them that only weak minds become mediums. Because robust and strong minds naturally protect themselves from pathetic influences of spirit shells. And I just want to ask you. I do think I'm a strong mind. Thank you very much. Yes, true. Uh-huh. How well do you think that went? I mean, she would have made her point, right? She, yes. She said, she said it. What are these, all men? Eh, who cares what they think? I, well, so this is true. In this situation, it's men, but usually mediums were young women. Mm-hmm. That's so a she, good point. So she comes in, she says, You're doing it wrong, but for this other reason. She's saying, women shouldn't be working. Let's stop this now. This is ridiculous. Where are your rings? Get married. Run away. It's better. (laughs) A wink? Henry, Helena, and eventually an Irish occultist named William Kwan Judge formed the Theosophical Society, and it still exists today. And their website states that their mission is to encourage open-minded inquiry into world religions, philosophy, science, and the arts in order to understand the wisdom of the ages, respect the unity of all life, and help people explore spiritual self-transformation, which sounds very nice. Ooh, sounds easy. Yeah, very easy. It becomes less easy. No. Henry and William are definitely important figures in theosophy. It's A lot of it is Henry's idea, but Helena is 100% the driving force behind so much of their doctrine and their image. And in 1875, she writes their first religious text titled Isis Unveiled. Oh, that sounds pretty sexy. It is very sexy. Oh. This is about 30 years before Aleister Crowley writes the Book of the Law, which is also very Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And also, they both understand themselves as conduits. They're like, this is not my writing. This is a magical being's writing. Uh. I am not responsible for this. It's speaking through me. Exactly. I am just the mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. I am just the keyboard. I tried reading it. It's over 2,000 pages. It's a big book. So I stopped trying to read it. Mm -hmm. But apparently, it's almost entirely plagiarized from other esoteric books. And one of the major... Can you imagine someone writing 2,000 pages of just their own? Their own ideas? Of course we're plagiarizing. (laughs) Fair. But I mean, they have diaries. Girls are writing all the time. Letters. Poems. That's true. Have you ever written a poem? Yeah. Roses are red, violets are blue, Tara is sweet. And so are you. That doesn't make any fucking sense. We're, we're in the revision phase. Right oh, now. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. It's a work in progress. So one of the major sources she plagiarized from throughout her life is from this novel called The Coming Race by Edward Bulwer-Lytton. 
And the coming race is exactly how it sounds. It's about an original master race that has spent its time in hiding, in this case in a subterranean cave. But that race is coming and is on its way. And they power their utopian society with this magical liquid called Vril, which you'll hear Nazis talk about today. Oh. As like a kind of electric... Like Gatorade? Mm, spiritual power thing. Spiritual Powerade. Yes. Okay. The blue kind. Oh, only. But none of this matters because it ends up selling a thousand copies in just the first week. Who is reading this? Women. Children. Yeah, women. Uh, divorced men mm-hmm. in their 40s. It's all... What was his name? Victor Blavatsky. Figor. Neville. Neville. <laughs> Neville Bottom. Longbottom. <laughs> Besides the statement... That's not your Gigi you're talking to. Helena's doctrine also states that all religion stems from one ultimate root religion, an ancient wisdom that was corrupted by Abrahamic religions. Helena claims that the Christianization of Europe entirely cut them off from the realm of magic, but that the original global faith still exists in a mutated form in places like Africa and India. And this does line up with like the West's public perception of places like India and Africa as like these land of swamis and mystics and snake charmers. And at this time, Britain is just all about taking control of Egypt. Like they are very much into Egyptology and like uh, the Valley of the Kings is like about to be discovered in like 50 years. So they're spending all their time like digging up pots and they're like, the ancients! The mummy. The mummy! Yes. It's the mummy! Then... Helena says, I'm not done. I have things to do. Me? Still? She's done so much. She's only 40. She plagiarized 2,000 pages. (laughs) Yes. She writes a second book called The Secret Doctrine. And this is considered the root book of theosophy. And of course, it is also uh, the most racist one. Amazing. Incredible. I also tried to read this. It uh, is difficult to get through. But I would say if you're interested... And where all this stuff comes from, because it does lead to some much bigger ideas, there's an abridged version. Oh, good. So the Spark Notes version. Yeah. So it begins, in the beginning, there was nothing. Classic. Okay. OG. Great. We know this. And it's written sort of like poetically, like where was silence and where are the ears to sense it? Makes sense. And that the goddess, the primordial parent, sleeps for seven eternities. And after the final vibration of those seven eternities, she swells and bursts into light. And she drops this egg. And from it comes seven primordial breaths or rays that are the first seven entities of existence. Following so far? So the chicken did come before the egg. Yes. Got it. And these seven beings create the universe and our planet. And the seven root races were created. So get ready because shit is going to get very bad. Ooh, fun. The first race was made of pure spirit and lived on the imperishable sacred land, quote. What does that mean? Antarctica? Penguins? Like, who are these? No, because the next one. Oh. The second were the Hyperboreans, which were also of pure spirit, and those lived on the North Pole. Oh, okay. So those are, you know, our reindeer. Mm-hmm. Our Santa kind little, of things. Little elves. Little elves. The third lived on the continent of Lumeria, which Blavatsky said is now modern-day Australia. Great criminals. <laughs> Amazing. And then the fourth lived on the continent of Atlantis, and they had psychic powers and advanced technology. They mated with she-animals and created gorillas and chimpanzees from their offspring, so we are not from apes, they are from us. I ain't no monkey. Monkey is me. It sounds like we are from them, though. I feel like that could be twisted around. That's That's how I was getting it. Hmm. Interesting. But before Atlantis sunk into the sea from their decadence and pride and also their big fat orgies. Yes. 
Some escaped to create the ancient Egyptian civilization and the civilizations of the Americas. I see this. I was thinking more like mermaids. Mermaids with gorillas creating people sort of thing. Okay, yeah. Because Atlantis, you know, it's like... No, because we're the next one. The fifth. What? Okay. Who she calls the Aryans. Like we all Aryans? So remember when... You said it was racist? So remember when she said that the Christianization of Europe was why Europe had lost its connection to magic. Well, where does Christianity come from? White people? Judaism. Oh. So anti-Semitic Helena Blavatsky basically says that Jewish people are why the master race, a.k.a. the Aryans, aren't magical anymore. I can see that being the seed to a few ideas. So right now, we're in the fifth iteration of humanity, okay? This is us which will eventually be replaced by the six, which will usher in the fifth and final Buddha, Maitreya, who is like a bodhisattva right now, and he's going to like take us all to somewhere cool. And the Nazis, like the Nazi Nazis, the German Nazis are reading the secret doctrine like 50 years later, and they're like, yes, finally. And they absolutely base all of Nazi race theory on this book, that current Aryans are only the fifth race and that they are going to, quote, Create the six wraiths, the master race through eugenics. Why are they adding this through eugenics part, though? Because they're killing. It's murder and then also doing crazy human experiments. I think this final Buddha is going to come in and murder us all. (laughs) Equally. We we deserve to be. So Helena Blavatsky didn't just invent Aryans. She also invented the Akashic Records, which we talked about in the past lives episode so this is how she gets around a lot of her accusations of plagiarism because the akashic records are supposed to be this library of all of the world's information it's like future knowledge Ah. right past Mm -hmm. present future Mm -hmm. so because it's past present and future helena will steal something and then she gets called out on it and will be like oh well, I read that book in the akashic records like 40 years ago and like i didn't even know when and where or how it was written so I didn't know Smart. it was from you. And, um, and, and they're like, I guess. So are we saying the Akashic Records are bullshit? We are saying that Helena Blavatsky is a bullshitter. wrote about the Akashic Records. Mm. And that's all I'm saying. Well, we don't know who spoke it first. Nope. Who chose that word? She chose that word. It's from Akashic. like an Arabic like bastardization of a word meaning like light tablets or something. All right. Well, no one wasted money on that one anymore. So Helena Blavatsky was sick all of her life, and eventually her habit of smoking a pound of tobacco a day, not a week. I wonder what that means in terms of cigarettes. She, apparently she, her, with her little tiny ringed hand, she'd roll each one up individually. Okay, let's find out. Hold on. I want to know if she's like uh, grams level or if she's past grams level of smoking. I would say past because... People commented about how much she stank, and it was in 1870. Okay. Half an ounce of loose tobacco is approximately equivalent to one pack of 20 cigarettes. So she's doing two packs a day. 40 cigarettes. Wait, 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 wait. That's a pound? How many? Half an ounce. Wait, half an ounce. Half an ounce. Wait, what's a pound? What? A pound is 16 ounces. Oh, shit. So if half an ounce is one pack of cigarettes it's actually 28 packs of cigarettes so she would have to smoke more than a pack of cigarettes an hour and not sleep but you know how those chain smokers are they just keep going 
You have two cigarettes an hour sometimes. Yes. Also, my grandmother as well would start to smoke a cigarette and she'd like take two puffs and put it down. And then it would burn out. Mm. And then she'd be like, oh, I For want the aroma. For, mm. Yeah, it's an incense. Also, like, she must have looked so cool. Eh. Just constantly holding a cigarette. Yeah. Doing gestures with a cigarette in her hand. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Talking about how the dead aren't real. Back in the good old days, you know? With her giant afro. Crazy. Also, so you mean she's dying? So she's dying. <laughs> and also, uh, her alleged hashish and opium addiction eventually catches up with her. Oh, so she added other stuff. <laughs> she was full of poison. Well... And in 1891, at the age of just 59, a spring chicken, a tiny bud, a baby's breath, she passed away as another statistic in the influenza pandemic of the time. And the theosophists, again, commemorate her death every year on May 8th as the White Lotus Day. And while you can't contact Helena Blavatsky via seance, because in her cosmology, the spirit doesn't stick around, you might be Helena Blavatsky because she did believe that, quote, a stone becomes a plant, a plant a beast, a beast a man, a man a spirit, and the spirit a god. That means that in each of us, not our personality, but our individuality passes through all forms of existence until we achieve complete union with spirit. So I have her spirit, you have her spirit, he, she, they uh, have their spirit. Where's the beast? Uh, Artemis. Where's the beast? Do you see how cutely curled <laughs> up she just, is right now? She's like a little croissant. She is. A little Danish. So just to close out, we have a couple more Patreon questions. One was, did Helena Blavatsky have any kids? And she did adopt a child named Yuri, who was allegedly the love child of her sister-in-law and some random guy. But Helena was obsessed with her virginity. And though it's alleged that she was actually fucking all the time, Makes sense. she went to a doctor and had him inspect her vagina to prove that she had never had children, had him write a note, and then tried to use that note to prove that because she had never had a child, she had never had sex. He just looked and he was like, looks like a woman. I don't see a baby in there. I don't see anything in there. <laughs> Great. Works to me. Nice. Boop, boop, boop. Here's your note. Doctor's note. Why no. does she need that? Virginity proves like some kind of like asceticism. Was she like carrying it around in her little satchel. Yeah. Like she comes like, up in conversation boop. and she's like, oh, let me unroll this. It's like with her tobacco pouch. Yeah. She has to like dig through it. It's a really big pouch because it is a pound that she has to carry around. It's going to be like in her dress and she's pulling past the titties to pull it out. And it's wet. It's very wet. And so it's smudged. Mm -hmm. So no one can actually read it. Yeah. It's in a different language too. Because why not? Um, Next question. Was she ever arrested? No. Not that I know of. But she was detained several times by border guards trying to sneak into various countries. But as an aristocrat, like she's above the law. What? And then finally... Does she still have followers? And the answer is yes, many followers. By the time she died, there were over 130 different lodges for theosophy around the world. And it was also a major influence for a little guy named L. Ron Hubbard, who went on to found Scientology. So in a way, a lot of her esoteric writings, which were stolen from lots of different people, became Scientology. That's interesting. So if someone, you meet someone on the street Mm -hmm. and they're like, I worship at this theosophy center. Do we go, fuck you? Do we go, we hate you? I Do would, we go, you're probably racist? It's, it's hard. I mean, Christianity is very racist. I mean, I, I meet a Christian and I think they're racist too. Snap it's, judgment. Yeah. Whew, that's a really hard question. She doesn't want to say anything on the record. 
I don't. I say if you meet anyone, think they're a racist. Think the worst about them and let them prove you wrong. Guilty until proven innocent. Exactly. Witch trial rules. <laughs> Dunk them. Dunk them. <laughs> fucking stone them. Yeah. Get them out of here. Trust no one. This is very interesting. She's very problematic. She seems like someone with a really big imagination. And her mom was a novelist. And I feel like she was, she had something else in her that wasn't just like, I want to tell stories and I want to tell this story. It was like that the story has to be real. Mm -hmm. I have to convince you that the story is real and you have to love me. Like it just seems like a kind of core wound. Did we ever find out if she saw her family ever again? Uh, Periodically she would show up. Okay. And they would be like, who's this old woman? It's me. It's me, the heir to your riches. (laughs) Yeah. Smoking. Well, constantly smoking. Her mom dies of consumption like pretty early on. And then her dad dies like like not that long after that. And so it's really just her sister Vera that like every once in a while she'd be like, hello. And Vera's like, no, No. not you again. She's like covered in furs. Hi. Oh my gosh. It's just crazy that for like hundreds of years – if something was written down, people are like, yes, yeah. it must be true. Like, what are these sheeple? Yeah. yeah. Populating the earth. We are no better than sheep. Which sheep are adorable. So I'll give us that. But. <laughs> I like being a sheep. We're like little lemmings all off the cliff. Or are we all just like so desperate to be told this is real? Or there's some meaning or something. Mm-hmm. It's fucking sad, you guys. Yeah. It's very sad. I was thinking about dying earlier today. Lovely. Not planning, but like what it would feel like to die. And like every time I think about the nothingness, Uh like the void, but like so much void, you don't even know you're in the void. I start to feel like I'm going to pass out. (laughs) And now imagine I'm in 2022. Uh I'm 30. I probably have, you know, 40, 50 more years, maybe. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. If I'm in 18... 22 I got five I'm a woman if I haven't had children yet and had my like uterus fall out if I'm not dead already I'm on borrowed time and so maybe that feeling is just like so much more urgent that makes sense and people just die randomly from bacteria infections that they don't even know are bacteria infections Mm -hmm. maybe at that point it didn't matter they're like ah fucking write it who cares? We're going to be dead soon anyway. I'll be dead next week anyway. Yeah. You're 12. I know. Smokes a cigarette. <laughs> Takes smokes a big packs. hit. 18 packs, 24 packs, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Well, this bitch is batshit, so. that's. I feel like that's what I learned from this. She seemed very calculated to me, too, mm-hmm. though. Like, very, like. Like a murderer. Like a murderer. Mm-hmm. I would not be, you know, they say, the occupations that most often end up being murderers, truck drivers, police officers. People that drive around, they have authority, and they got muscles. Mm-hmm. And Helena Bovatsky, she's uh, whipping around the country, whipping around the world. True. She is a Von Hahn, and therefore is an authority. Mm-hmm. And three, she is quite a muscular-looking woman. She's quite large. That is true. Maybe she's Jack the Ripper. <gasps> I love it. Which is in the news. Breaking news. A meow, 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 which is in. Oh, sometimes um, 
Marcel will hear it and he'll think it says witches in the nude, which I think would be a funny segment. Witches in the nude. Witches in the nude. Tops off, baby. Here we go. I thought you were going to say witches in the muse. The muse. That'd be cute too. All right. Our first story is witchcraft festivals are getting some shit. Wait, what kind of shit? Bad shit. Not bad. Not like gifts. No, not like gifts. You ready? Let's let's talk about this. So now that we've basically decided the collective threat of COVID-19 is over, we're doing a lot more outdoor activities, including celebrating pagan holidays and witchy events outside, which we love that, you know, sunshine, it's nice, mm-hmm. open air, mm-hmm. fresh, street smell in New York City, you know? Garbage, toenails. Exactly. Rat packs. Rat packs coming in. And buying your shit and leaving. Yeah, yeah. Leaving a little have, tip. Yeah. Have crystals. Exactly. And even though witchcraft has taken off in the past few years and become more visible in the public eye, there are still people who are actively working against it. So let's talk about this year's Witches Fest USA in New York City. Oh. We've gone to that. Yes. We, I love that. It's so great. I didn't even know it was back, honestly. Same. So we missed it, which is tragic. But next year. We will also miss it. Because <laughs> you won't be here. <laughs> I know, but I said that so optimistically and then I remembered. (laughs) But you could go. But cute vendors, witchy community activities, normally too hot since it's in the middle of July. But it's a fun festival. But sometimes people will try to yuck on your yam. And the most common culprit of this is the evangelical Christian. At it again. The most acidic of the Christians. At this past Witches Fest, nearly 30 evangelists and street preachers showed up holding signs and preaching through amplifiers. Over the past seven years, barely a half dozen of these disruptors would show up. But now it's not uncommon for them to appear and just kill the vibe. 30 is a lot. 30 is too many people. 30 that's like a mob. Yeah, that's more than a, in a classroom, like an underfunded school classroom. That is, a, you get t- capped at like 28. Yes. By the end of the day, their presence had caused class cancellations and vendor closings. What this the is fun. Fuck? Yeah. On the same weekend as Witches Fest USA, attendees at the Mystic South Conference in Atlanta found Christian pamphlets in the lobby and on car windows outside the hotel where it was taking place. So this isn't just a New York City thing. This is happening kind of throughout the United States right now. When the police were called on the Christians at Witches Fest, the organizers were told that the Christians were just practicing religious freedom. And when organizers moved the workshop tent away from the corner where all the really loud preacher noises were to another side of the street, the Christian groups followed so that they were still loud. And oh I feel like that goes under the umbrella of harassment, even if it's like not harassment. At that yeah. point, I think it is. Yeah. Two witchy vendors even left midday due to not feeling safe because of the Christian groups being there. Organizers have now called upon a pagan civil rights organization called Lady Liberty to discuss legal advice and support. And when asked why they didn't just move Witches Fest indoors, the lead organizer, Ravenhawk, said, we shouldn't have to move. We fought for this location for eight years. It took that long, according to Ravenhawk, for the community board to designate Witches Fest USA an annual event. Until then, she was required to reapply every year, she said, enduring questions such as, are you going to burn babies? What? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. And then this article, this was from the Washington Post, and even went on to say some of the events that are witchy and pagany that are even held indoors sometimes get people to go as well mm-hmm. and harass 
the nice witchy pagan people who are just trying to celebrate and buy a fucking crystal. Yeah, get a sticker. Or meditate with a group, you know? So, this sad. Because I feel like we're all about, like, being nice and, like, not trying to antagonize people. Like, you never see it the other way around. Like, pagans aren't going to churches to boycott or voice their religious freedom there. Yeah. So it's like, why are you doing it to us? It's not nice. Because evangelizing is part of their religion. And so it's part of their religion to go and profess and change the minds of others and go to street corners and yell. Why don't you just go door to door like a Mormon missionary? Yeah. Like the, uh, the, the Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, exactly. Knock like the little Dracula you are. And if they don't let you win, they don't let you win. I'm not too surprised by it because I think people got really amped up by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, do y'all have a hobby? A life? Did a you girlfriend? S- oh my God. Anything that will take your time away from you. A vibrator. A vibrator. Oh my God. A gosh. dog to walk. A fucking dog. A child? Have you, did you see the statistic that was like in 1990, the percentage of Christians claiming to be Christians on the U.S. census has gone down 30%. Oh, really? 90% to 60% in the United States. Oh, so they're just really banding together right now. And I think also that like when you kind of evaporate the less crazy parts of Christianity, like when you're kind of just left with like the curd, that yeah. is the stinky part. The stinky, chunky, gross part. Yeah. Yay. No, I'm, I'm so yay. I'm so sorry, Witch Fest. Yeah, it just, sucks. You you are such a fun event, and you are so sweet. And even when we went, there were, like, people that were being kind of shitty, and, and it was kind of nice to ignore them and kind of laugh at them, and, and 30 people screaming and following you around. Like, that sounds unnerving. Yeah, you know? it sounds terrifying. Yeah. Next up. Skeleton, a female vampire, unearthed in Poland. (laughs) So the remains of a female vampire have been found by archaeologists at a cemetery in Poland. A vampire, you guys, a vampire. Why were they digging her up? They're always digging shit up. Archaeologists, that's all they do. Oh, they do dig. They have, I don't even know why. (laughs) They're just looking for anything at this point. They're dirty. Probably just dinosaur bones, honestly. You know they don't have acrylics. You know where the dinosaurs would be? A Polish cemetery. Dig, dig, dig. (laughs) The Polish researchers came across the remains of a woman with a sickle around her neck and a triangular padlock on her foot at a gravesite in the village of Pien. The farming tool, according to ancient beliefs, was supposed to prevent a deceased person thought to be a vampire from returning from the dead. This discovery was made in late August of this year. 2022, finding vampires left and right. Boom, boom, boom. The human remains also had a silk headdress. Beautiful, you know, which was woven golden or silver thread. This means that whoever the body had belonged to was someone of importance back in the day. And the sickle around her neck, that was in case the vampire tried to escape. She would then have her throat cut up if she tried to get away. So she just had to stand, lay there. She just had to lay there with this like metal thing, metal blade right around her neck. You got to fucking Houdini yourself out of there. You do. You kind of have to. I'm like trying to think like, like, okay, so you're there with the, and your, and your hands are uh, like a little X. Yeah. Across your titties. 
but you can't you can't wiggle because then you're just gonna saw your neck in half. So I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to dig down, like literally lower yourself, and then find a oh. way to like scooch yourself out. That's a good idea. I think that's the only way to get out of there. So but you're also like have earth on top of you too. So I don't know how good. Like I don't know. It's already difficult. Yeah. So maybe you, but her toes padlocked. I was like, well, maybe she digs with her toes, mm, mm-hmm. but her toes are padlocked. Hmm. It sounds like she's just going to die. Yeah. But she's so cute. She's dressed up all cute in her little scarf. <laughs> her little fangs. <laughs> this type of practice became common throughout Poland in the 17th century as a response to a reported vampire epidemic. In addition to practices with a sickle, sometimes corpses were burned, smashed with stones, or had their heads and legs cut off. We talked about that in the vampire episode. Cut, cut, cut. Just cut all your body parts off. So now you don't have anything, (laughs) but you're still a vampire. You're just a little chicken nugget vampire. (laughs) You look very tasty. Ha ha, you can't bite me now. This is not the first discovery of vampires in Poland. In 2014, an archaeologist group led by the University of South Alabama from the United States found six vampire skeletons in northwest Poland. That's a lot. That's a lot. They were like, fucking... Towns run, a run, run amok. <laughs> you vampires got, everywhere. You fucking uh, put on your boots, you take one step, you run into a vampire. It's not good over here. Researchers from the Institute of Archaeology at the University of Krakow will conduct DNA testing on the remains to learn more about the deceased woman. Oh, this is so interesting. So maybe we'll find out who was she? Yeah. Who would play her in a movie? All of this we need to know once we have an idea of what she actually looked like. Because yeah. she's just a bag of bones and a sickle and a hat. In a hat. Sounds like the end of a Saturday night for me. <laughs> just bones. Bones. And a hat. Yeah. Just bones and a hat. And our last story is the 31 nights of Halloween freeform schedule has dropped. Boom. Because October, Scorpio season, and Samhain are right around the corner. They're like a week and a half away. Do not wait. Is Bye that now. crazy? It's, I can't believe it. This means freeforms. Iconic 31 Nights of Halloween schedule has been released. 31 Nights means, yes, 31 days of Halloween content, which is all we could ever ask for because that's literally what the entire month of October is like for. This is going to save our country. This is going to save democracy. It's the dream. Highlights include, of course, Edward Scissorhands, Hotel Transylvania, Beetlejuice, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween Town, iconic, Hocus Pocus, also iconic, Goosebumps, terrifying to children, Get Out, and A Quiet Place. Ooh. And honestly, that's just skimming the surface of all the films that they will be streaming. There were so much more. They had like some Simpson Halloween episodes. It was like all over the place. They were like anything and everything Halloween. We're going to fucking show it. It's starting. And you can watch Freeform if you have cable, or if you don't, like me, you can watch it on Hulu Plus, Live TV, Sling TV, Vidgo, Fubo TV, or Direct TV Stream. It's only a week and a half until October 1st. It's literally right here. Oh my God, murder me. Existential crisis. I have so much to do. (laughs) I know. It's terrifying. It's awful. But that has been Witches in the News. Oh, man. Okay. Well, who doggy? We got to move on to that spell. It's okay. <laughs> October's over there. The year's nearly over. You can kind of give up. Yeah. What's three months? Like, you don't need to accomplish anything in that time. Just eat good food, eat some candy, buy some Christmas presents. Yeah. Buy the presents now. Then you don't have to think about it. Exactly. 
Just go to the um, the like discount section at the front of the Target, mm-hmm. with, like the little crafts and stuff with the erasers and everything. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's all children really want. They don't remember. They don't have object permanence. No, they just like chewing on things. Yeah, they do. Mmm, delicious. All right, so. Since we're heading in to the witching season in just a couple weeks. So soon. As the veil thins, let's talk about who we want coming through this veil. I I learned this. Here's a pro tip. They're an asshole in life. Turns out they're probably going to be an asshole in death. I guess why would they be better? You think that's going to heal them? No. No. So this is a spell to commune with your ancestors created by Cultivate Magic. Ooh. Here's what you're going to need. A candle. And the color of the candle should be significant to you or your family. That color can change over the course of your life, but make sure to pick a big pillar candle that can last at least three hours. And if it's big enough, you can reuse it again the next time you need to invoke your ancestors. So do I need to set aside three hours for this? You need to be in the house for three hours while the candle burns down. But you don't need to be watching the candle for three hours. This is a place and bake situation. Got it. A special symbol, and the special symbol can be anything that resonates with you to help your ancestors find you. So it can be a word or a sigil, but remember, you're going to be carving this into the candle, so don't make it too fancy. Mm, yeah. It's not a photorealistic of like Tom Cruise's face. Unless the candle is big enough. Unless. Which you said big candle. Is it a big candle? Next up, blood or bone. So this is something that has your DNA. So it can be hair, fingernail clippings. You don't have to make it gross. Okay. Sweet grass. Apple wood, a fire safe dish, cinnamon sticks, apple cider for drinking. So not apple cider vinegar, the drinking kind. And then a cup of water for safety. I love being safe. Here's what you're going to do. This spell, more than any other spell, it is important for you to cleanse and protect your space. You don't want any other weirdo, what did, what did he call them? Psychic hobos attaching themselves to your, your house. Mm-hmm. So... A concrete way that you can do this besides breathing and announcing that no one is invited without an invitation is that you can light a black and white candle and cleanse your space with frankincense and myrrh, just like baby Jesus. Oh, he loves that shit. Hold your fire safe dish in your hand and meditate on the purpose of your spell. So once you feel ready, it's time to begin. First, carve your symbol onto your ancestral candle. It's a little penis. (laughs) Place your candle on your altar and light it. The flame is now a door between the two worlds, opening for invited guests only. On your fire-safe dish, place the sweetgrass clippings, applewood, and blood or bone to burn. This creates an invitation for only those attached to you via your bloodline, so relatives. Got it. No, we don't need any of that bullshit. The incantation that was given to me is, I invite thee, spirits of my blood, to visit as you please. Passover or guardian, I hope you'll appease. By dream or by sign, I watch for your message. I await your word, your otherworldly presage. Presage? I don't know. The space is cleansed, but do not fear. Only the uninvited aren't welcome here. But again, it can be anything to that effect. So like you're calling on your ancestors. You say how you wish for them to contact you and that you have cleansed the space, but you know, you are invited. No one else is. Perfect. That's like the VIP guest list you need. It is, yeah. It's like, here's, here's your QR code. Love that. After you say your little magic words, pass the cinnamon stick through the smoke and then the flame of the candle and use it to stir the apple cider. As you close your eyes, open your mind to any and all messages from your ancestors. Drink your cider, but be sure to leave a few sips for those who might visit. Finally, 
lit the candle burn for at least three hours, as three is the number of the dead, and then snuff the flame. Do not let it out. Got it. And again, be open to everything that comes to you. Like they may be in the form of inconspicuous signs or extremely vivid dreams, but no matter what, your ancestors are going to contact you. You just have to have the right ear to listen. And that's it, baby. I love that. Thank you. Hey, thank you. That was such a good one. And it's like such the right time to do it. Absolutely. Unless you're Helena Blavatsky and she doesn't believe in any of that shit. That's true. It's like, fuck dead people. They're gone. Yeah. Stop crying. She's so Russian. Yeah. Stop it. No one cries. No one cries in this house. No one cries. You will reincarnate. All right. So Alicia... Episode's over. Can we go home yet? Yeah, in a second. We would like to thank Marcel Perez, our producer, Mallory Porter, our creative director, Brian Rainey, our resident intern and researcher, and Kevin McLeod for the music and the intro and outro that we use each week because he's the man. We played his whole song in our most recent Patreon episode, and as I was listening to it, I was like, Alicia really picked like the only good like 30 seconds. <laughs> I really did. Song. I listened. Yeah. And I it's really right listened. in the middle. Uh, there's a fade in and there's a fade out, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd also really like to thank anyone who's written an Apple podcast review or written a review on Spotify. Head over to Apple podcast. Give us five stars and please write something. It costs you nothing and it means everything to us. If you want to find me, Alicia, I'm on Instagram at Alicia period herder. You want to find Miss Tara? Oh, Mrs. Fiance. Oh, uh, Miss Fiance of Ah, uh, me, moi. Oh, moi, me, Tara. It, you can find me at her lovely face and underscore little moss. That's my private Instagram. We are on Instagram at witchyes. Share an episode in your stories. Tag us, and we'll feature you on our stories. We love doing it. We love hearing that you guys are listening to us. Oh my God! Please send us more gnomes. I feel like we're getting even more gnomey. Everywhere I go, I take a picture of a gnome now. Oh, same. It's so much fun. They're everywhere. You can also hop on our Discord server if you have more questions about witchcraft or just want to have a community in general. Like, click on the link in our show notes, join, and welcome to the family. And if you don't like any of the socials and you just really hate talking, but you have like a burning question or thought or something, you can always email us at witchespodcast at gmail.com. No criticisms. Because we will read them and we will not reply back. No, we won't hold that hate in our heart. We have boundaries. Healthy boundaries. And if you say... Two episodes a month. It's not enough. Not enough. My soul needs to be filled. If your soul needs to be filled, like the hole in Alicia's heart, you can also find us on Patreon, $5 Patreon, which is and above, are getting two extra episodes a month, which makes this a weekly podcast. They also get to ask us questions. They know what the next episode's going to be. And then they get early access to cool stuff, their own private Discord. And $10 and above get access to our close friends list and more. Once again, thank you to HeliaCon for posting in the Patreon Discord about how Tara didn't kill that tree. Amazing. It really made my whole day. I mean, I was engaged and just got back from a vacation and yada yada, but... She was vibing, but now she's not going to jail. I'm vibrating. (laughs) And I guess that means this has been... Witch, yes! Bye! Bye! Happy October! Fuck the Nazis! Thank you.